You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is science and health writer and author, Arlene Weintraub. And Arlene's going to be here talking to her about her latest book, Heal. The Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. So we're going to be uh, real excited to find out about that. It's a topic that's near and dear to our hearts, uh, obviously cancer in humans and obviously uh, dealing with cancer in, in dogs, which I, I've obviously experienced as well. So I'm just interested to find out more about how our canine companions can help out in those situations. So everybody hang tight. We're going to take a quick commercial break, come back with Arlene Weintraub, talk to her about her book, Hill. You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. At Red Barn, our pet food ingredients work overtime. They aren't just there for show. Dandelion greens work to maintain a healthy digestive system. Salmon oil works to enhance the immune system. Green-lipped mussels work to support joint health. These hard-working ingredients support your dog's active, healthy life. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Visit RedBarnInc.com to save a dollar on Red Barn grain-free canned food. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. And joining me now is author Arlene Weintraub. Arlene, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So congratulations on the, the great book, Hill. Very enlightening, very interesting read. Can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about the book, Hill? Sure. Well, Heal is about uh, many different ways that dogs are helping in the search for new treatments for cancer. As you mentioned, dogs get many of the same types of cancers that people get, and they are now being recruited into clinical trials of new therapies that may someday be uh, useful for both pets and people. And also, I have a chapter in the book about how dogs are able to sniff cancer in its earliest stages and how that's now being translated into diagnostic devices to try to catch uh, cancer in its earliest stages when it can often be cured. Now, when you talk about clinical trials using canines for that, can you walk us through briefly what that's about, how how they're uh, working in that role? Sure. Well, uh, what happens, this field is, is called comparative oncology, and what it entails is oncologists that work with people working together with veterinarians to research new therapies and trade insights along the way about what they're seeing in patients who are recruited for these trials. So in the case of dogs, we're not talking about standard animal research where, pe- where people think of animals being kept in laboratories and that sort of thing. These are clinical trials that happen in veterinary offices and dogs are given the opportunity to try these new therapies as part of their cancer treatments. Oftentimes, the pet owners have no other options because the cancers are found at a late stage or there's simply no good therapies for dogs. So they are offered the opportunity to participate in these trials. And then what happens in the dogs is often reported to the FDA and other regulatory agencies as both an approval process for 
for new drugs for dogs, as well as therapies that might work for people as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, the, the, uh, has there any, been any enlightenments, any ahas, anything that uh, they've experienced where it's helped both the canines and uh, what humans is like? Yes, well, actually, I have an example at the beginning of the book. One of the very first trials of this sort resulted in a class of medications known as tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And what they do is they target certain tumors with particular genetic characteristics. It was really one of the early examples of what's now called personalized medicine in cancer, where the tumor's genomes are sequenced and then medications are targeted to patients' particular genetic characteristics. And that resulted in the first ever cancer drug approved just for dogs, which is called Palladia. And there is a version for people, too, that's on the market. And it's for people, it's used in actually uh, several different types of cancer now. Wow. And so this particular drug for uh, canines, let me make sure you got that right, is for a specific type of cancer? Or are they yes, used for a, Yeah, and dogs, it's for mast cell tumors. And the dog's tumors can actually be tested to see if they have a particular genetic mutation for which this drug has been seen to be very effective. So that's actually now commonly done with a lot of different drugs for people. Yeah, and I I would have to say, uh, not being a veterinarian, but from my own experiences and from what I've uh, talked to people about, mast cell tumors in canines is uh, the most prevalent or at least uh, at the top of the list. Yes, it's a very prevalent. It's a type of skin cancer. It can often be treated with surgery, but when it spreads, it's very hard to treat. And so the approval of this drug was considered uh, definitely a milestone in veterinary oncology, for sure. And it's still being tested in various other types of cancers because it, it has many different mechanisms of action. It actually chokes off the blood supply to tumors, uh, which is a mechanism that's now common in many cancer drugs used for people as well. And when you do that, of course, the, the tumors often shrink, and in some cases they go away completely. So it's, it's being tested in dogs and other types of cancer now, too. Wow, that's great. That's great news. Well, from doing your research and talking to veterinarians and talking to researchers, did they give you any um, insight to how we could prevent or at least curtail that cancer developing in canines? Is there any telltale signs or things that we should be doing that perhaps uh, as the human companions we're not doing or not doing as quickly? Well, it's interesting. There hasn't been as much research in prevention. However, pets have been included in certain what they call observational studies or population studies where they look at things like um, secondhand smoke, for example, environmental causes, use of pesticides in the yard, that sort of thing, to see if there are environmental factors that play a role in cancer development. And I do give an example in the book. Actually, I have a chapter on cats as well because they're involved in this research. And, and there are some, there's been some very interesting research about the effect of secondhand smoke on cats. And, in fact, something just came out last week, if I recall, a study with pets which showed an increased risk of, of cancer in homes where there are smokers. So, yes, there is a lot of interest in recruiting pets for this type of research on prevention and environmental risk factors. Yeah, because like you said, I think a lot of it would have to be parallel. I would imagine a lot of the things that we get from a a cancer standpoint happen in our canines and our felines and other animals uh, and vice versa. Right. And, 
the studies on secondhand smoke haven't been entirely surprising because there have been there have been studies on that in people as well. But as you know, cats in particular pick up a lot of environmental toxins because they groom themselves. And so they're actually ingesting them. And, and so, so that was a pretty interesting study. Uh, it is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's, when you step back at it and, and you know, step back from it and take a look at it from a logical standpoint, it makes perfect sense. But I would imagine that most of us don't think about that. Right. Wow, interesting. So then how did you get on to writing this book? What Did you wake up one morning and say, hey, I've got to do something and, and share? Or is it uh, a collection of uh, a lifetime of work? Well, I, I was actually working on staff at Business Week magazine about five years ago, and these two veterinarians came to our office to tell us about a new facility that opened at Texas A&M University where doctors and veterinarians were, were basically working side by side in this field called comparative oncology, and, and it was really eye-opening for me. I think as a lifelong dog lover and a lifelong dog owner, I had a sense that the dogs get cancer, but I had never seen it myself, and I didn't really know that they get cancers that are identical to the types of cancers that people get. And um, at the time, my family was experiencing a terrible loss, which is my sister died at the age of 47 of gastric cancer, which is also very similar in dogs and people. And so I, I was sitting listening to these Texas A&M veterinarians talk about this, and I became captivated with the idea that there could be this whole other research avenue that might lead to cures that we wouldn't find otherwise. And so... I just got personally fascinated and started visiting these veterinary schools like Texas A&M where the research is happening and um, found a lot of reason to be hopeful about it. Absolutely. That is great. That's fascinating. Well, listen, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the book, obviously, and I want to talk about your writing process, how you got started in all this and your avenues of writing and putting together this book as well as everything else you do. So uh, we're real excited about that. Everybody, just hang tight. We're going to continue our conversation with uh, author Arlene Weintraub, talk to her more about her book, Hill, and also talk to her about her writing in general. So everybody, hang tight. Get back with you after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Looking for the best advice on pet health, safety, and travel? Connect with the Pet Lady. Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady, will surely be in a city near you real soon. She will be spreading the good news for pets and pet lovers from tips on dog and cat care, pet industry trends, and the best events for you and your four-legged family members. Need a great gift idea or insights on the hottest pet gadgets? Simply follow the Pet Lady on Twitter at PetLadyWorld. You can also learn more at ThePetLady at ThePetLady.net. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. 
Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm here with uh, author and writer Arlene Weintraub talking to her about her book, Heal, the vital role of our dogs in their search for cancer cures. And, uh, you know, right before the break, Arlene, we were talking about, the, you know, dogs' involvement in the research and how some of their cancer things that they go through, they experience, we experience as well. But I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the process of writing the book itself. Can you tell us a little bit about some of maybe the challenges that you had? Was it easy for you to write? How did this all come about and, and how long did it take you to put together the book? It took uh, about three or four years, actually, and I, I was doing it part-time. And my idea was really to look at the cancers that are prevalent in people and also common between people and dogs. And so I organized the book around those cancers, melanoma, osteosarcoma, lymphoma, uh, and, of course, gastric cancer, which uh, was the one that I had personal experience with, with my sister's illness. And so... So what I did was I, I kind of looked for the trials that I thought relevant, most relevant, and that were in those cancers and started putting the book together in that way. But I think the biggest challenge was figuring out how to tie it together. And in the process of doing some writing workshops and speaking to other authors and so forth, I, I finally realized that I had to narrate the story from my own personal perspective of having lost somebody to the disease. And it turned out that that was a very good way way to tie it all together because I end the book by visiting Tufts University and a, a veterinarian who's actually studying gastric cancer in dogs by collecting tumor samples and looking for the genetic causes to the disease, which of course might end up helping both dogs and people in the end. So that's really how I structured the book. And once I hit upon that, that structure, it became much easier. You know, it's always hard to figure out the framework, at least for me, to figure out the framework or I know where I want to go with it and maybe even how to get to the end, but all the pieces in between, how to get started is sometimes the challenge, don't you think? Yes, definitely. And and for me, being a journalist, I don't generally write about myself, so that was a, a tough hurdle to get over. But But like I said, it turned out to be the ideal way to structure this particular project. There you go. Well, then let's talk about your writing in general. You know, you're a journalist, obviously. So it's sort of the chicken and the egg. Did journalism and writing come before your passion for science and uh, some of the things in the health and the things you write about typically? Or was it the opposite way around? Were you always sort of a, a science uh, aficionado and uh, the journalism writing came after that? Well, I was always a science aficionado. I did study journalism, though, and when I started my career, it was really the, the height of the tech boom in the early 2000s, and biotech was booming at the same time. And so I sort of fell into it and became even more fascinated the more that I, that I wrote about all the uh, medical advances that were happening and, of course, interest by, I was working at Business Week at the time, so the, the interest from investors in the, in the whole area was booming as well. And actually, even as um, tech went through a bit of a bust, biotech has continued to boom through, you know, the past two decades, I'd say. So uh, it's always been kind of a, a, a rich source of fascinating stories for me. Yeah, I would think with the advancement in research, the advancement in uh, diseases in general, and of course the the baby boomers, I'm assuming that that has a lot to do with the the drive in that area not being uh, not being anything that's going to go on a downturn anytime soon. I would imagine. Right. 
And it's interesting, even the past five years as I've been working on this book, there have been just tremendous advances in cancer. And some of that was going on while I was reporting the book. For for example, I learned about a trial at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and actually went out and spoke to the researchers involved of engineered T-cells. These are cells that are taken from individual patients' immune systems and engineered so that they recognize that patient's particular cancer and they go after the cancer cells. And this has already been tried in people, actually, but some of the early studies were done in dogs, <laughs> pet dogs, and, uh, and it's been kind of incredible. There have been some blood cancers where uh, there were just no good therapies before and some patients have been cured. So it's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, carrying on with your writing, obviously putting together a book like uh, the book Heal compared to writing for uh, columns and magazine and some of the journalism you do. Can you walk us through uh, the sort of the, is one easier than the other? Is one more enjoyable than the other? Or how's that process, the two compare? Well, I, I think that writing long form journalism has always been the most enjoyable part of the job for me because you really get a chance to delve into a, a topic. You don't have to turn something around in a day or a week. And, and so that was really fun for me. Often, because there's such a demand for information so quickly, journalists have to just get on the phone with one or two people or three or four people and turn something around in a day or two. Uh, with this book, I actually traveled to about a half dozen veterinary schools and went to Israel where my sister had lived and where she was treated for her cancer and actually met her doctor for the first time. All that went into the book. And you really make more of a personal connection with people when you do that. I met a lot of dogs, of course, and their owners. So that I found that to be very enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think it just goes to uh, the quality of the work that you did here in the research, not only taking your own personal background and uh, what, you know, your sister had went through, but obviously just all the research behind it. You know, to put together a good book like this, you have to go out there. You have to. It's more than just picking up a phone or uh, just writing from what you know. You have to really find the resources and the knowledge of the people out there. Right. And, you know, I think it's important for writers to do that. You know, I was a little reluctant because these veterinarians are so busy. These, these clinics are just packed all the time, and, the, and the veterinarians are juggling, especially those in academia. They're juggling teaching and grant writing and research, and, but they opened their doors. They were very open to having me come, and they let me shadow them, and it was really a great experience. That's fantastic. Well, Arlene, after everybody picks up a copy of the book, Heal, The Vital Rule of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures, and they take a look at the book and they read through the book, what do you hope they walk away with? What would be the one thing you'd say, hey, if I got this message across, then I did my job? I think just the importance of supporting research like this is what I hope I will get across. I provide uh, at the back of the book information about where people can go if they're uh, facing cancer in their dogs and they're interested in enrolling them in clinical trials of new therapies. I also provide a list of other books they can read and foundations that they can go to for information about various cancers and about cancer research that involves pets. And, you know, I do hope people will look at that and really consider it and even make donations to cancer research, which I encourage in the book. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think you know, great job with that. And and it's I viewed the book after reading through it and and taking a look at it. This is one I'm going to keep on my shelf because this is a book that you become educated, you learn a lot, it'll pull at your heartstrings, but also it's a working book. It's it's something because if you haven't experienced it in your own life, uh, in your own family, in your own canines or, or felines, whatever it may be, you're bound to, or you're going to have a friend or a family member that's going to experience it until we can uh, find a way to cure cancer. Right, and I think it's important that all of us contribute to this research, and, and you know, including our pets, <laughs> Absolutely, because we all know we learn more from our pets than we do from anybody else out there. Right. (laughs) Well, Arlene, where can everybody pick up a copy of the book Heal as well as follow uh, you and your activities? Heal is available through every major bookstore, uh, and if they don't have it in stock, they can order it. It's also available at all the online booksellers, and I am keeping readers updated on the field of comparative oncology at my website, which is www.healdogsandcancer.com. Healdogsandcancer.com. We'll make sure we post that out there. Everybody go take a look at that, sign up, uh, keep track of uh, all of uh, Arlene's valuable resources and knowledge in the subject. Arlene, great job with the book. Once again, it's called Heal, the Vital Role of Dogs in the Search for Cancer Cures. Great job, great research. I love the book. So uh, keep up the great work you're doing, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. We're down the road. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've had on the show, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Animal Rights icon, and download all the wonderful interviews and episodes. And while you're there, make sure you check out all the other wonderful shows and the hosts that we have. That's on PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me, comments, or ideas for this show, you can email me. Email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most onto this show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, share it in a blog, article, or book, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.